You have reached the voicemail box of Speed Dial with Ira Madison III and Doreen St. Felix. This week we'll be discussing Insecure, the new HBO show, and black female comedians of our day. We also have a message for the do-gooder liberals out there who are doing more harm than good. And we'll discuss the death of Vanita Browder, mother of Khalif Browder. Leave a message. Hey, Ira. So I just finished watching Insecure. And surprisingly, I loved it. I was a little bit nervous about it after Awkward Black Girl, which we can talk about. But I think it's a really good show. Into it. Call me back. I want to talk about it. You know what? I love Insecure as well. I think it's great. Awkward Black Girl was not my thing. I feel like I need to start the conversation Let it out. with that admission. Put it in the book. Okay. So if you don't know what we're talking about right now, Issa Rae is an amazing black female creator. And one of the series that she created years ago was called Awkward Black Girl. And it, got, it gained a lot of attention online. Everybody was really identifying with the story, which was basically about a black girl who's sort of straddling, you know, the world of the hood and the world of like more white mainstream California. But I found it to be a little bit canned. I didn't always believe in the story. But to me, Insecure feels like awkward black girl grown up, you know, with better production value, better writing. And Issa Rae's acting has just grown so much since the YouTube series years ago. So I'm here for it. Yeah. You know, I was always a fan of the series. I loved the first season of it. Then I felt the second season is where... You know, it got that canned feel to me. Um, I was a little less connected with the second season of Awkward Black Girl. But Insecure right off the bat feels so fresh and, like, new. And it's so weird that stories that are so familiar to us this year are coming across, like, fresh. You know, it's like I've Mm -hmm. never seen anything like Insecure on TV before. I've never seen anything like Atlanta on TV before. Um, So many people are like, they've never seen a movie like Moonlight before. It's just showing people, you know, that like, our stories are new. And you can finally watch some TV that you haven't seen a thousand times before, you know? Yeah, and you can watch TV that sees you in a way. I was cringing during so many moments because I just, you know, her character said things that I know that I've said to my girlfriends or I've said to you know you for example when she's in the car and he like makes a joke about how all black girls who went to college love Drake and she's like he just really gets us (laughs) (laughs) I felt so exposed (laughs) I mean same (laughs) 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 Drake and I also really love how this show is exploring her relationship with Lawrence because the web series sort of disposed of her black boyfriend quickly so she could get that white boo. Mm -hmm. And White Jay was fine on Awkward Black Girl. If, you know, he wants to reach out and call me, he can. But 
I am loving <laughs> the relationships that are happening on this show. You know, they feel more mature, as you said. They feel more just just weight to them. I'm really getting yeah. what she feels, you know, as a woman exploring her sexuality in her 20s um, and maybe being like she wants more than what she's had before. I really connected to Lawrence as, you know, as a, you know, mid-20s black male, you know, like looking for a job, looking for direction in his life. That's a place that I was, you know, years ago. So it's nice to see that reflected on television in an interesting way. And Molly, too. Oh, my God. Her best friend is amazing. <laughs> oh, my God. Such a great character. I. It reminds me of a lot of the... Black women I know working in corporate America, mm -hmm. the way that she, you know, she has like all the charisma and everybody at her job like loves her and thinks that she's perfect. But so much of that is performance. And I love that scene where she's playing dominoes with some of the like janitors at the, you know, law firm where she works and all the janitors are like black and Hispanic. It's like, that's so real. Mm -hmm. My sister is uh, my sister's a lawyer and she's in her early 30s and like she's told me stories exactly like that where the white people at her job are kind of amazed that she can fraternize with <laughs> people who aren't lawyers. And it's like, yeah, when you enter a certain class as a black professional, you're able to code switch across not only race, but also people who might be making less money than you or who men, might not have the kind of job that you have but are in the same space as you. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was like a really smart moment. In general, I'm really excited about the what black female comedians are doing lately. Mm -hmm. It just feels that part, I think, out of all of the demographics in America, black women are the most stereotyped, right? And that's why it's so difficult to make honest depictions of who we are, because it's like, if a black character throws a fit, then she's automatically the angry black woman. If she sleeps with somebody, then she's automatically the Jezebel. It's so hard to move around in fiction worlds as it is in the real world. But it feels like people like Issa Rae, people like Jessica Williams are navigating some alternative spaces where black women are. You know, like Jessica Williams, like she was a political correspondent. And often a lot of the skits and reporting that she did was around like black women stuff, but it never felt like that was her only beat. So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm really peaked. My interest is peaked, I would say. You know, there's a lot of, black female comedians too that are just like bubbling and on the rise we both know um who ray sani is i think she's hilarious we do she's so funny we have to have her on one day yeah ray if you're listening call in please do um uh, we want you on the show but she is great and you know phoebe robinson read a book inspired by solange's don't touch my hair <laughs> That's not how it happened, Ira. <laughs> you know, I can't verify that. So I can't verify your claims, Doreen. So I will choose to believe what I said. <laughs> and then, you know, we also have, you know, Nicole Byers on MTV, who's doing a lot um, beyond the ice cream um, empire that she came from. <laughs> So, you're so silly. 
Listen. But yeah, and I think it's all. <laughs> I'm just trying to what? embrace these what? girls. <laughs> but it's also a reminder of all of the black female comedians who set this path for all of the girls who are succeeding right now. You know, the 90s. I think yes. when Tommy Ford died, it was such a reminder of like, you know, on a show like Martin, you had multiple black women being hilarious, doing slapstick comedy, right. improvising. To Chino Arnold. You know, it makes you think, yeah. Oh, my God. She's so funny. Even um, like as I, on Real Husbands of Hollywood, she's hilarious. And that's yeah. like 20 years after the fact. And Martin Lawrence was the greatest black female comedian of the 90s. So, <laughs> oh, my God. Um, it was really... It was really inspiring to go back and watch some of those old episodes, you know, and just see how many people we had then. You know, you had Wanda Sykes, Kim Wayans. Uh, It was just a treasure trove. Uh, And I feel like that black female renaissance is back. I think, I don't know if it's 100% back, but it definitely feels like something is brewing. I would say, to me, it feels like 2016 is the year of black TV moving beyond just like prestige dramas, you Mm -hmm. know? And I think that 2017 will be the year where it's like, oh, you know, it's not just like black men like Donald Glover who are creating and producing TV shows. Like, I think there's going to be a lot more black women who are going to be playing with comedy. And I can't wait. If y'all need me to write for something, you know, my Twitter at like at me. I'm so, I'm just, like, ready to take over the world. I mean, you're not really funny, though. You're such a little bitch. I'm kidding. See, that was jokes. That's my humor. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't know why I called you a bitch. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. It's getting raw. There is a rant that I know is trub- that is troubling both of our spirits, has been troubling us since Sunday night, and it's about liberals. Specifically white liberals, Sun- but some non-white Not only- people. Some non-white <laughs> people have been showing their asses, too, and we need to have a discussion. All right. I'm going to set the scene. It's Sunday You know, I had just done my deep oil treatment. I'm relaxing. And I see a link to something that seemed so ridiculous. I thought it was actually a joke. But it turned out to be completely serious. Some white man who describes himself as a Democrat and a Hillary Clinton supporter started a GoFundMe account for the GOP in North Carolina. Here's the context. Earlier that week... A GOP office in North Carolina was firebombed, um, which is very bad. That's not good. That's not something that anybody should co-sign. However, this this male Democrat used that event to make some kind of righteous liberal point about sort of like reaching across party lines in order to help people. And so this GoFundMe account was to rebuild this office. The initial goal was $10,000. 
Democrats on the internet raised over $13,000 in five hours. And the idea is that that money would go straight to the NC GOP and that would be some kind of sign of the fact that Democrat Democrats and liberals and people who think of themselves as, you know, being more morally people who think of themselves as being morally higher than Republicans would be, you know, sort of like resituating our democracy after everything Donald Trump and his minions have done this year. And I have I think for me that was my breaking point this election cycle. I was absolutely disgusted by this display. Yeah. Like, let's give the GOP some money to fund another House bill, too, so we can further discriminate against transgender people in North Carolina. Let's give them some money so that they can fund gay conversion therapy or so they can, you know, repeal Black and Latinos voter rights. Like, what kind of nonsense... When I saw this shit happening on Sunday, I was like, this isn't true. This is a hoax. This is comedy. And then I was like, oh, it's not comedy. And then I saw people I know who were like, I'm donating to this. And I was like, you tried it. Like, I'm done with you. Because it's not even, there are so many things wrong with this kind of action. For me, the number one being... There have been so many instances in which black people have been murdered by the police, in which trans people have not been allowed to use certain bathrooms in that state in particular. So many instances where money should have been raised for people who needed it. But someone made a really great point. Keith Lamont Scott, who was murdered by the police, it's been 29 days since his GoFundMe account has been set up. It has nowhere near the amount of money that these rich liberals raised in five hours to make a point. And I think the problem here is like, if you still believe that symbolism is powerful in this way, if you still believe that democracy is going to be unharmed after Trump loses the election, you are so sorely mistaken and you're absolutely delusional. I really hate the idea that Democrats for some reason even think that they're better than these people. It's like the whole thing, the whole problem here is that you are understood to be elite, you know, Northeastern liberals who don't actually understand what is going on in a state like North Carolina. And the fact that you wouldn't consult with the black and brown and queer people who are suffering because of all of the voter intimidation that the GOP does, the fact that you wouldn't talk to them just to make a point to me is like, at the end of the day, politics are an abstraction for you. They're not something that actually affect you day to day. And if that is the case, then you need to seriously reevaluate whether or not you even are a liberal in that case. I don't like understand how you can empathize with white supremacists. I don't get it. Yeah, I do not get how you could mosey your ass on over to wherever (laughs) you left your credit card when you were ordering Postmates this morning and then be like, (laughs) oh, you know what? I want to donate some money to some white supremacists in North Carolina. You know what? It's not even like you're rebuilding Paul Ryan's house or something, you know? Like, I'm sure these people in North Carolina 
with the GOP aren't even that attractive. You know, they're not looking like my boo, Paul Ryan. Uh, also, we don't even know like what happened yet. Okay, allegedly, it seems like some sort of Joanne the scam going on with this office. But I don't want to pull out the conspiracy theories. I'm not Mark Ruffalo. I'm just saying <laughs> that there's a lot going on and people didn't seem to, you know, get any info before they started wilding out. You know, how much money have you raised for Haiti? How much mm-hmm. money have you even donated to Hillary damn Clinton? If Hillary Clinton could be raising <laughs> thirteen thousand dollars in five hours, I don't think she'd be emailing me as much as she does. <laughs> donate a oh dollar. Oh my goodness! Donate I mean... five dollars. Donate this thirteen thousand. <laughs> Shit. And a lot of people after you know there was such an uproar online from people like us who were like, "Did you?" even think for more than 10 seconds about what this monetary donation actually means, a lot of people actually took back the donation. But to me, that is another symbolic gesture that doesn't really mean much because at the end of the day, if your brain is still wired to choose to empathize with white supremacists, A, because it's just easier for you to see white suffering than for you to see other kinds of suffering or B because you think that you're so much better and you feel like, you know, rhetorical gestures are more important than the actual dehumanization of black and brown people in America. I'm troubled by that impulse no matter what, because that's the way that your brain thinks, you know what I mean? Like, like I don't have to donate money because I know I'm better than you know, people stealing the rights from transgender people and intimidating voters of color. You know, I know that my life is lived better than that, you know? And it's just (laughs) a showy gesture of trying to be smug online because it's like, first of all, Mm -hmm. you could have donated that money and not announced that you were doing it. Like, everyone was just so proud to announce. That is so true. So much of it was performative. It's always performative. And it's like, some of you people are just as bad as like these GOP people who do all this performative stuff for like evangelicals and, you know, pretending like they don't, you know, watch porn or eat bacon on Sunday or, you know, murder homeless people on Tuesday nights after bridge. (laughs) I'm just saying that like we also get that with liberals who will, you know, sometimes just be so performatively woke and it's like, but you're missing out on like simple things like taking care of the other people in your party who are being terrorized, you know? It's like you're no different Mm -hmm. than the GOP white women who are suddenly like, oh, you know what? I can't vote for Trump because he's out here grabbing pussies. But you didn't care when he wanted to kick people out of the country and was inciting violence Mm -hmm. at his rallies. Have they raised money for people who've been beaten up at Trump rallies. Have you done that? 
Have you raised money so. for me and the vacation I want to take <laughs> next year? I don't know. Maybe I want to go to Lima. For your mental health? Maybe I want to go to Peru. Maybe I want to go to Buenos Aires. Maybe I want to go to Berlin. I want to go somewhere. Donate me some money. Go fund me and Doreen. <laughs> and while you are setting up the GoFundMe in our name, you really need to reevaluate how you think we're going to defeat racism in this country because it's not actually going to happen. And if it were, it wouldn't be through performative, fake, empathetic acts like this. Racism has nothing to do with niceness. It has nothing to do with kindness. It's an institution. And all of this rhetoric that we've been fed about reaching across the aisle, it's all bullshit that continues the power of this institution. So if you're a grown-ass person and you still think that being nice is what's going to fix this country, I need you to, like, stop watching whatever PBS fucking children shows you're still obsessed with and, like, get – you need to understand what's actually happening. It's not – that's not the case. Right. Niceness is not going to fix anything. Because all, to- that is, is, all that is is rhetoric and bullshit, and you need to grow out of that. You're too old. Because You're too old for it. Donald Trump is out here claiming that Hillary Clinton's ads are too mean to him, whereas everything about his campaign is mean, belligerent, rude, harassing. And it's you talk about reaching across the aisle, like you said, House Republicans literally just said that they're going to block any Supreme Court justice that Hillary Clinton wants to nominate over her next four, maybe eight years. Like, this shit isn't a joke. It's not like a feud between two neighbors over, you know, some barbecue or someone forgetting to return someone's dustbin or something. You know, it's not, you can't just go over to them and be like, oh, you know what? This is a ceasefire for today. You know, like, real people are getting killed in this country through a lot of actions that the GOP does. And I don't know. It's just, if you donated that money, you better look at the man in the mirror. Start with yourself. This is more of a somber conversation. I know that you and I just talked about the documentary 13th by Ava DuVernay last week. And one of the more powerful stories in that documentary was of Khalif Browder, a young man who was imprisoned for three years in New York and ended up committing suicide After he was released, his mother, Vanita Browder, who has been, you know, fighting for justice for her son while he was in prison and after, um, died of a heart attack on Friday. Um, And it just makes this family's story that much more tragic. So there actually is a medical condition where because of depression, because of the physical stress um, that you go through after a traumatic story like or a traumatic experience like 
being mother to a son who killed himself on account of the state, you can actually die of a broken heart. And that's basically what happened to Vanita. Vanita was in her early 60s. Um, there was no reason for her to die. But her health had actually been deteriorating starting earlier this year. And she suffered a heart attack and she passed. And I think the story of the Browder family is so deeply troubling because it has ramifications and ripples that just continue and continue. Khalif, who was arrested and kept in Rikers for three years before ever going to trial, before a judge realized that this was ridiculous and released him, he didn't he commit he attempted to commit suicide at Rikers, but he wasn't successful there. He was successful when he left. And so I think that is such an encapsulation of the ways that police brutality, stop and frisk, the mass incarceration, all of these things can put you in such a psychological state that even if you're not in the place of torture, you are still tortured. And I think... When you are somebody who has to care for someone like that, Vanita Browder, she visited Khalif every week. Every week she went up to Rikers and she, she went into the prison herself to visit her son, to advocate for him. She wasn't able to raise, you know, that $3,000 that would have kept him out of prison. Like you have to imagine that whenever one person dies, either by brute force or through something like suicide. It's not just that person who suffers. It's all the people around them. And I think it's it's such a New York story in a lot of ways. And it makes me really sad that so many people in our city didn't help the Browders when they could have. It's troubling because it reminds you of just how much is at stake, you know, in this election in America's future. It's horrifying to think how much $3,000 destroyed this family, you know, when mm-hmm. that's like almost what I pay in rent a month. It's very saddening. And I think it's also a reminder of if you feel immobilized by stories like Khalif's, if you watch a documentary like 13th, and don't really know what you yourself as an individual person could do to fix the state of mass incarceration in America, understand that there are very small efforts that you can make that could change someone's life. Donate to bail funds. It's something that we talk about a lot when people are arrested arrested during protests because districts and counties tend to increase bail funds in that instance because they know that people will pay it, you know, that people will raise the money for people who have been arrested basically unlawfully during protests. But there's something that they are something that you should donate to all the time. You know, who knows what could have happened if there was a bail fund in the community that could have covered Khalif's release at that point. And so I just, when I think about the course that Khalif's life took and how that affected his mother and how that affects his family from here on out. It makes me feel like I can't do anything. But then you remember that Khalif isn't the only one. In fact, he's one of 
literally hundreds of thousands, millions of Black people who are tortured by our country, a country that sanctions the torture of Black and brown people. So I would encourage you, you know, if you have money to burn, don't donate it to the GOP. Donate it to community funds like this that can really help people on the ground. Um, you know, we're not just going to fix mass incarceration in an in a jiffy, basically. But I think we can take these really small steps and make a difference. And once again, we have feedback with Ira and Doreen, where we invite you, our listeners, to call in and leave us a hotline bling, leave us a voicemail um, where you can ask us anything, absolutely anything. Um, This week, we have a call from a wonderful woman named Laurel, and let's get to it. Hey, Ira and Doreen. Uh, my name is Laurel, and I'm calling you from the shower because what the hey, casual luxury, and I'm on a work trip right now. Um, I'm calling to ask you because once a month, at least once a month, um, someone in a store will ask me to help them or ask me if I work there. And I am 30 years old. I'm professional. I have a law degree. I am never wearing the store's outfit. Um, it happens in Target most often. Happens in DSW, Bed Bath and Beyond, Nordstrom Rat, because I don't have Nordstrom money. But I wanted to ask you, uh, number one, what you think is behind this. I know what I think is behind it, but I want to hear your opinion. And number two, what I should say to these people who are constantly asking me for help in stores where I don't work. Okay. Thank you. Love the show. And I have been to the Blue Lagoon in Iceland. It's amazing. Bye. First of all, I want to thank you for embracing my mantra of casual luxury. <laughs> Honestly, I think I need to start releasing casual luxury books, maybe get some sponsors so I can go on other trips. So if you always is, try to get money off this podcast, <laughs> <laughs> we have yet to get any shit. <laughs> can I get a casual come up? But getting back to Laurel, um, girl, you need to cuss these white people out is what you need to do. <laughs> but maybe that would lead to more trouble. What do you think, Doreen? Well, first off, I just want to say I love you. <laughs> you sound so funny and amazing. Also, you're accomplished as hell. 30 years old law degree. Like, get it, please, for all of us. To your question, I, I experienced the same thing. Sometimes I'm even in the building where I work and some chipper person who may not even only be white. It's happened to me with people of all races have been like, oh, like, are you an intern here? Or, you know, like, what are you doing here? I don't know if that's because I look young, but I think it's probably because I'm black and a woman. And I think there's something about the way people see black women in particular, where we always look like the help to them. I don't know if it's because they grew up with black nannies. Um, But honestly, sometimes you need to to ridicule people. 
I think that it's a really good way to release your emotions because I know that has to make you mad as hell. Like, obviously, there are people who work in retail or people who work in stores who are black, right? And that doesn't like change their value. But to know that that's not some that's not the place where you are and that's not the place where you work, you it has to feel so fucking demoralizing. And I think that you should feel totally fine telling somebody off because then maybe that will prevent them from making that mindless mistake the next time, you know, to actually take a second and look at a person. You know, if you're looking at a black person or you're looking at a Latina person and they don't have the uniform on of the employees in the store, perhaps you should not assume that they work in that store. You know, common sense. Listen, I can understand if you get stopped in Target, if you are wearing red, because that is your mistake and you should not have done that. But as you said, you were not wearing the store's uniform because you know not to walk up in Target wearing red because you'll be accosted by anybody (laughs) looking for help. Like, you need to give them a darling, this is chamomile tea. (laughs) that's your new thing Ira. (laughs) we have referenced this before but there's a funny as hell video of two chains this white girl at huffington post (laughs) is talking about snapback hats with two chains like designer snapback hats and he has a white cup in his hands and at one point she's like um, please don't spill any coffee on these hats. And he looks at her and says, darling, this is chamomile tea. And she <laughs> is so embarrassed. She's like, oh, lovely. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that is the epitome of like how black people can flex on, you know, white people or non-white people who come at them crazy in a situation and think they know something about them. They're trying to talk to you in the store like your coffee, and you need to let them know that you are chamomile <laughs> tea, that you are rooibos tea, that you are Earl Grey tea, that you are, you know, tea with a little bit of honey in. I don't know any more teas. <laughs> Now that we've left you with a plethora of tea varieties to try. (laughs) Seriously, thank you so much for leaving us feedback. Uh, If anyone else would like to call in and tell us how they're being harassed by white people, or maybe you want the name of another place that you can donate money to instead of throwing it away um, and giving it to the racist hedgehogs that work at the GOP. (laughs) Our number is 424-354-9335. Once again, that number is 424-354-9335. And leave a message. You know what, girl? Lady Gaga's new album is out. I need to get up in this Joanne, get myself some boots, get myself a cowboy hat, and just like yeehaw up in the club. So I got to talk to you later. (laughs) All right, boo. Bye. And we'll talk about the album next week. 
This episode of Speed Dial was produced by Kasia Mihailovich, Michael Catano, and Mukta Mohan for the MTV Podcast Network. Follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at MTV Podcasts. Subscribe to this and other MTV podcasts on iTunes. 